That's not a word that seems positive to me. And I think for some, that could possibly be uh, offensive. And maybe we would have some initial response to that line, such as, well, I don't know anyone, anything. I work hard for what I have. And I'm really working really hard to get out of debt. I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-reliant. But the truth is, friends, none of us are really truly self-sufficient. If we were completely self-sufficient, self-made, and if we were self-actualized, then we wouldn't be indebted to anyone or anything. And our text for today just clearly shows that that is not the case. And contrary to how we sometimes feel today, we don't live in a bubble. I know it maybe feels that way, where we're trying to protect everyone, and we can't do this, and we can't do that. But the truth is, is we are in a relationship with, and we are dependent upon others. Our very place as citizens of the world means that we are part of many relationships. We have relationships with our families, our co-workers, with friends, with our church family. We just can't deny it. We can feel that it isn't so. We can say it isn't so as we wrestle with it. But to exist is to be in relationship all the time. And so then our worship ought to be a celebration of relationships. First, of course, with God. We are debtors to God who gave us the gift of life and the gift of salvation. We celebrate this gift as we gather to pray, as we listen to music, as one day we'll be able to sing again together. And when we do so, we acknowledge that we don't belong just to ourselves, but we belong to God. And second, friend, we are a church family. We are indebted to our community of faith. And maybe rely on is a better word. We're sustained and strengthened by those that are here today, those that have gone before us, definitely by those who surround us now. And this community that we've waited so long to return to, it strengthens us, friends. And still I say the term debtor might seem a little rough. I read somewhere this week, I thought it was a pretty good description, and uh, the commentary said, Apostle Paul maybe could have benefited from the marketing course. He kind of told things the way it was. He didn't really... Uh, soften his words. If you think about it, calling people debtors and telling them they need to suffer, that probably doesn't get too far with a lot of people. Maybe not too many people are waiting to sign up for that experience. And wouldn't we do better if we talked about the benefits instead of the burdens? How about talking about the joys and not the heartaches of life? And oftentimes when I read things attributed to Paul, people feel like they need to explain this. Well, that's not really what he meant. Well, no, that's what he meant. It may be just a way to kind of rephrase the wording. And according to the lectionary notes, this is kind of how they put it. When we talk about the flesh and the spirit. Paul wasn't saying that bodies are bad. He wasn't saying that at all. His words about the spirit versus flesh are often widely misunderstood. Perhaps if we kind of consider tweaking the statement a little bit, we say it this way. If you live according to yourself, your spirit will die. But if led by the Spirit, meaning by the love of God and others, then you put to death the desires of yourself, and you will live. Now Paul says it a little more eloquently in, in prose the way that he writes, but the point that Paul is making is, is, is a, really a question I'm asking. Friends. Can we live acknowledging our obligations? Specifically, can we live acknowledging our relationships? and how they're so vital to our life. Can we live with the thought that we are indebted 
not to ourselves. But Paul argues that the ultimate debt is to God and to God's grace and God's love. We owe it all to love, friends. So friends, let's think about some folks that we might rely upon in light of our new understanding of being a part of community. This one, I, I like them all, but this one, we owe it to those who have loved us when we weren't all that lovable. When I think about that, boy, there was a lot of times in my life when I just really wasn't all that lovable. And that type of love to me, friends, is tied to grace. It's tied to mercy. Who has, who has shown us grace when we were less than graceful ourselves? Has there ever been a time in your life where you just haven't really been extending grace to folks, but yet grace was extended to you? I also love this one. We owe it to those who saw in us what we couldn't see for ourselves. Friends, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. Many people throughout my life invested in my life. I had a good conversation. Um, for those that don't know by now, Bev, our superintendent, has retired. And we've got a new superintendent, and then there's layers of management. And our new person, Dennis, called me. And he said, I just learned that John Huff came from your church, and he's also doing this thing for his district. We had a nice chat about him and Derek, and like you're like the third guy that came out of there. And I said, yeah, we, we have a tendency here to recognize the good in people. And then move up. So, friends, that just—he was blown away. I'm just telling you, when we say church family, this is just a great environment that produces leaders. Look at what's happening with BBS, with the shelter, all the things that we have done, because we do a good job of seeing things in people. We have to continue to do that. If we're ever going to grow a church, we have to continue to invest in people and see things for people they don't always see. One of the things I want to try really hard to do is find another person that comes out of here. God will lead us to that. Not that I want to go anywhere anytime soon. Friends, we, we owe a debt of gratitude to our mentors and our teachers. And I'm so thankful for those who saw something in me that didn't give up on me, that continued to invest in me. And here's one, too, to think about. We owe it to those who let us be wrong. Because that's the only way we can learn. And sometimes grace, friends, always grace, allows us to not always have to be right, to not be the only voice in the argument, to let others be wrong for a little bit in understanding and love and grace. In my opinion, certainly from what I see today, the world needs lots more grace. We have to let others learn from their mistakes and their experiences. So friends, really what, what this all boils down to is that we are debtors to love. It's all about love. Debtors to the spirit that shaped us, who claimed us, who offers us a future of hope and fulfillment of joy. We experience the spirit through those that have walked beside us, those that have been with us every step of the way. Our parents, our teachers, fellow students, maybe all of the above, and the churches that nurtured us. Yeah, I've been, I just had to write a paper about baptism and communion. When you read the statement nurture and you think about church family, every time we baptize somebody, the whole church stands up and says, yes, we will nurture this person. That's what churches do. We are to nurture people. And then our churches, we find people that have told us, but more importantly, have showed us that we are worthy of God's love and that we are God's children. We are bound together in this community. 
And the truth is, friends, I think we're better off that way. We're absolutely better off that way. Not that we are able to be glorified, but so that God is able to be glorified as we reach our full potential and we claim the gift of eternity. Friends, we accumulate eternity by uh, the debts and the relationships that we accumulate. Because the relationships that we are blessed to live in and because of the community that we become is our privilege to suffer in these relation to these relationships. But it's not just the human relationships we see in the Scripture that we are indebted to. We're in relationship with all of creation, all of God's creatures. That's what Paul says when he says the whole creation groaning in labor pains, hurting because of what it wants to birth, what it wants to bring forth. Of course, some could say, well, he's talking spiritually or he's talking metaphorically about spiritual matters, not physical ones. I would argue that perhaps he's talking about both. It could all be tying salvation also with our duty to care for the earth and God's creatures, for the planet. The fate of the planet is woven also into our fate, into our future, to our hope. Furthermore, we are called to take care of all that God has made and relies upon us to help Him to care of. Friends, we have to be the best version of ourselves, rooted in our place as children of God. We have to treat our world and everyone in it like they are extensions of God because they are. We don't tend to mistreat ourselves and we call not to mistreat others. Of course, friends, we don't worship the environment. We worship Jesus Christ the creator of all that we see as we look at these beautiful grounds here. But there's urgency in what we do. Things aren't going to get better on our own. We know that. We need to take an active part in building the kingdom of God, the K-I-N, the kingdom of God. We, as brothers and sisters of God, this creation waits. It waits for us to rise as children of God, acting in grace and love for the building of God's kingdom. We are adopted, it says in the Scripture, into God's kingdom as God's children. God doesn't owe us a new car. Christians may want one, but she doesn't get one. That's not what it says. But rather, we owe it to God to live our lives in a way of gratitude, through the way we worship, through the way we take care of each other and all of God's creation. Friends, I'd like to close, mostly, with Eugene Patterson's translation of the first few verses of today's scripture. I think it's a nice summary. Uh, I've said this before. Um, the message is not something you would use academically a lot. I can't really write papers based on the message. Uh, but I have been encouraged to look at three versions. And when I read the message, it always just puts things in such a, a nice, nice, neat package. So I'm going to read this. I think Eugene Patterson, his uh, wording is very good here. Starting in verse 12. 17. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's Spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you've received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who God is, and we know who we are, Father and children. And we know that we're going to get what's coming to us, which is an unbelievable inheritance. 
we go through exactly what Christ goes through, if we go through the hard times with Him, then we certainly go and go through the good times with Him. Friends, did you hear that? We don't owe a life that comes from doing things on our own one, one penny. That life has to get buried when we take on a new life in Jesus. The Spirit of God is calling us. The new life we have given should have us asking God, even in this time, what's next? Heavenly Father, what's next? With great expectation of the things that we're going to do. Even in these times when we're suffering, God has a path and a journey for us. We are God's children, and we owe God all the glory. We should thank abundantly those that God has put in our paths, as I am thankful for every one of you, and live this life to the fullest, respecting and honoring God, who created all of creation. Amen. Friends, I'd like a Christian to queue up. It's number six. This is from, from Melissa Ann and her band. It's called Closer to You, and I think that's what it's all about. If you would just listen, I'm going to have a seat. I'll be back up on the table.